Hello everyone and welcome to Therapy in a Nutshell. I'm Emma McAdam, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is the podcast where I condense mental health skills into bite-sized nuggets of help. I recently got asked this great question and I wanted to answer it and I think that um, this question and the answer is a really great uh, interlude, you know, in between these sections on this course, the section that we just finished on how your body impacts your mind and how to soothe your nervous system through your body. And this next upcoming section, which is all about how to change how you feel by changing how you think. So I got asked this question recently. I thought it was a great question, right? Someone asked me, I think about and talk about my emotions all the time, but I still feel terrible. I still feel upset about the past. No matter how much I try to work through my emotions or my memories, they just keep coming back. I I can't let go. And the more I think about them, the worse I feel. Now, people say that time heals, but if you ask someone with severe anxiety or PTSD, they'll tell you that it doesn't. Or if you ask someone with depression if thinking about their emotions or their thoughts helps, they'll often say that it just makes them feel worse. So here's the thing, usually what's causing our mental block is that instead of processing through an emotion and coming out the other side, something that we're doing is leaving us cycling, going in a circle and constantly getting stuck. One definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So just doing more thinking doesn't help us resolve problems. It tends to reinforce a problem. Now, if this doesn't make sense, let me give you a couple of examples. So with anxiety, it's common to avoid the things that make you anxious. So if you're afraid of dogs and you avoid them, that sends a message to your brain that the only reason you survived those dogs is because you avoided them, which your brain takes as a signal to make your anxiety worse around dogs. The more you avoid something, the more anxiety you feel. Avoidance keeps you stuck in that fear response. So when you avoid something, you just start cycling, right? Let's do an example with depression. If every time you make a mistake, you then call yourself a failure, this this label you give yourself prevents you from being able to learn from the experience and grow through it. And that leaves you feeling bad in most situations. And when you feel bad, you call yourself a failure, perpetuating that cycle. The more you respond by, by calling yourself a failure, the more depressed you feel, which leads you to call yourself a failure. How we respond to situations determines whether we move through them or whether we repeat them. Frank Sonberg said, lessons in life will be repeated until they're learned. Let me give you another example. So with PTSD, when painful thoughts come up from your past, you might get so overwhelmed by them that you panic. So that's a pretty bad experience. So then a lot of people do this thing where they, they do everything in their power to try not to think about those bad memories again. And that leaves you trapped in a cycle of avoidance. But avoidance makes your PTSD worse. Avoidance is directly linked to PTSD and panic attacks. So the more you avoid, the more you panic. And the more you panic, the more you think you need to avoid thinking about those memories or whatever it is. Now, these are just a few examples of how the more you do something, the worse you feel. Therapy would gently help the anxious person face their fears. It would help the depressed person change their negative self-talk, and it would help the person with PTSD to gradually face their trauma with a calm body. We have to examine our patterns that leave us feeling stuck in our emotions. 
So let's talk about eight reasons why people get mental or emotional blocks. These are reasons why people are unable to process through some emotions or memories. And of course, we're going to talk about what you can do about it. Okay, so let's jump in. Here's the first mental block that seems really obvious, but most people don't even realize that they're doing it. So the first one is you don't know what you're feeling. You don't have a name for the emotion you're feeling. And the skill is something we learned in lesson number one, which is name it to tame it. Number two, you don't know why you're feeling what you're feeling. If this is the case, then take a look at uh, skill number seven, which is all about primary and secondary emotions, and also use the skill of writing about your emotions. So the more you explore your feelings through writing, the more likely you're going to be able to find out what's actually causing what you're feeling. Okay, number three, you're not allowing yourself to feel your emotions, right? You judge your emotions, you avoid them, you're scared of your emotions. Maybe you have rules about what you are and aren't allowed to feel. So for example, I'll think about this or I'll work on this problem unless it makes me too sad or anxious. Or if it gets too uncomfortable, then I'm not going to think about that anymore, right? So if you're not allowing yourself to feel your emotions, then you're going to start cycling through them, right? Because emotions serve a function and they're going to keep popping up until you resolve whatever problem they're asking you to resolve. So if we go back to the fish processing plant analogy from, from section one, this is like you're at your factory and you get a shipment of fish that you didn't want. Avoidance would just be like, oh, I shouldn't have to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm not supposed to deal with this, right? And then you just leave those trucks in your delivery area. You, you can't magic fish away. You can't magic emotions away, right? You can't just make them poof, you know, disappear. In the future, you could work with the fishing boats to not bring you that kind of fish. You could arrange with your suppliers to make sure that you don't get that fish truck in the future. Or, I mean, there's a bunch of other things you can do to um, solve this problem in the future, right? You could prepare ahead to get the right machines or training to deal with that kind of fish. But right now, the fish are in your driveway and you've got to figure out what to do with them. So this is like you have emotions show up and as much as you wish you didn't have those emotions, you have those emotions. <laughs> like you can't just magic them away, right? So the fish are in your driveway, the emotions are in your body and in your mind, right? So you've got to figure out what to do with them. If, if we're sticking with the fish analogy, right? You can send them to the cat food factory. You can take them to the dump. You can turn them into fertilizer. You do whatever it takes to process these emotions out of your driveway. Sorry, process these fish out of your delivery zone in your driveway, right? But you can't just pretend like the fish aren't there. You can't just try not to think about these fish because that's going to stop your factory from being able to work. Avoidance really interferes with our ability to live the life that we want to live. So if you catch yourself judging your emotions and avoiding your emotions, distracting yourself from your emotions, then you've really got to get back to that skill number six of willingness. This is allowing yourself to face your emotions and feel what you're feeling even when it's uncomfortable. Now, remember, emotions, even though they can be uncomfortable, they can't hurt you, but trying to avoid your emotions can. Okay, number four. Here's a big one. It's common, but it's kind of complicated, so bear with me, okay? When you have an intense emotion, you get stuck in a freaked out body response, and this shuts off your thinking, your ability to process, and it leaves you stuck in nervous system hyperarousal. Your brain has to go through like six steps to resolve an issue, right? Notice it, name it, 
pause, explore, choose, and act. And this allows your body to return to calm. Your brain's constantly trying to work through these emotional problems. And when we don't work through them, that's why they keep popping up over and over. It's going to repeat that cycle over and over until it comes to a solution or a conclusion. Now, this process doesn't just happen because of big traumatic events or decisions. It can happen with common everyday decisions too. So for example, um, just recently I was trying to replace the flooring in our house. Um, we have 24 year old carpet. It is gross. It really needed to go. So I started exploring all of the options and pretty soon I got kind of overwhelmed with all of the choices, the color styles, the types of flooring, um, interior design, which I have no idea how to do. So then I started researching and then I started going to all the flooring stores and I just started thinking about it all the time. Like this was a problem I needed to solve. Pretty sure my husband got quite sick of hearing me talk about it because to him it's like, I don't care, right? Not a big deal. For me, it was a big deal. So finally, when I made a decision and took action on it, I still didn't have that flooring installed, but as soon as I had made my decision, my brain stopped obsessing about it. And that's because I went through that process of, you know, notice the problem, name it, pause, explore, choose what I'm gonna do, and then take action. Okay, so going back to what I was saying before, if you get too stressed out, then it shuts off the thinking part of your brain and your body goes into fight, flight, freeze response. So this happens a lot with couples who argue and when they get really upset, they just stop talking and let it blow over, but they never come back and resolve a problem. So they always just leave. As soon as the argument gets to a certain level of intensity, they just leave the argument at that point, right? And that problem never gets resolved and it stays at that level of intensity, like inside of them, right? And this happens when, when couples don't have the skills to work through the impasse. And then resentment just builds and builds. Um, another example of this, right? It's just basically like when your circuits get overwhelmed, they kind of, you know, your circuit breaker pops. And you're like, never mind, I'm not dealing with this. And you leave. But that leaves your body trapped in that emotional response. Um, another example of this is like my daughter gets really um, scared in the um, intense part of movies. And I'm not talking like PG-13. I'm talking Disney movies. Like every Disney movie has a climax point where there's a problem and it's kind of scary for a six-year-old. So if we're watching this movie and it's like uh, The Lion King and as soon as we get to the point where there's like the stampede and uh, Mufasa dies. And that is really sad, right? That's the point where she wants to turn the movie off. And then she's like traumatized by Disney movies. And she never wants to watch Disney movies again because she feels like the only thing that ever happens in Disney movies is it's like, first they're happy and then they have a little problem and then something awful happens and then we turn off the movie and we get stuck, right? If she were able to stick with it about 10 minutes more, We'd get to like Hakuna Matata and then we'd get to like, oh, we're going to face our fears and we're going to fight Scar. And then um, in the end, you know, there's that scene where like the grass is growing and they're up on Pride Rock and they're happy and there's love, right? Well, so this is what happens when someone who has experienced trauma gets stuck in avoidance, right? Because every time they face their trauma, it's so overwhelming that it blows their mental circuits and it leaves them stuck in a fight, flight, freeze response. So they could think about the trauma a hundred times, but then what happens is they go into hyperarousal, they get stuck in this, this like scariest part of their trauma and then they shut down, right? And they avoid it and they try not to think about it. And so basically what's happening is their brain is repeating the first half of that scary movie over and over again, 
but it can't bump over that like summit <laughs> to like the happy and relaxing and resolving part of the movie. So they're not gonna heal. So someone with trauma, when they just repeat the first part of that story, they don't heal. Okay, so thank you for sticking with me to this point. I hope this is making sense. The solution for brain shutdown mode is to learn to soothe your body as you process through intense memories or situations in small chunks. So you could process trauma a hundred times, but if every time, all 100 times you do it, you still have that same freaked out body, then the trauma is just gonna get reinforced and your brain's gonna learn even more that thinking about or talking about trauma is scary. However, if you use these skills that we talked about in the entire previous section, right? When you have a calm body, when you train your body to calm down while you process through these memories or these emotions, or you know, your fight in your marriage or whatever is going on, when you have a calm body, you can have a calm mind and you can get through your block. So the skill with this one is, you know, when emotions get so intense, you learn to calm your body so that you can process through that, you know, scary hump and get into the resolution stage. On to number five. So here's another common thing that causes emotional blocks for many people. It's having beliefs that stop you from resolving a problem. So these are known as core beliefs. Core beliefs are more of an involuntary emotional knee-jerk reaction to a situation or an event. They're, they're more you know, reactionary than they are something that you intentionally think out in your mind. So these are like a label that you subconsciously put on yourself or others or situations. And this keeps you from seeing the truth. And this reaction or this labeling happens so naturally that you don't even question it. But it gets in the way of you being able to see things for what they really are and it interferes with your ability to process emotions. So a really common core belief is, I'm a bad person, or I'm not good enough, or I'm helpless. These aren't true statements, but if you have a core belief of inadequacy or worthlessness, then these statements may effortlessly appear in your thoughts and you won't challenge them because they feel true, even though in actuality they're not. So in the next video on cognitive distortions, I talk about a client who had a core belief that said, you know, the reason I'm not married is because I'm a bad person. And in, and we'll discuss the concept of core beliefs a bit more in upcoming sections. Um, another example of this is believing that, you know, if I have depression or another mental illness, then I'm broken, I'm defective, there's nothing I can do about it. And thinking this way stops us from being able to go through that process and process emotions and solve problems. So for example, I once heard the story of a woman who went into therapy with the core belief that everything was her fault. Um, when she was four years old, she was supposed to be watching her two-year-old sister while her mom was in the house on the phone. And her little sister got hit by a car. 50 years later, she still believed that it was her fault that her little sister got hit by a car. And that colored everything she did. When her therapist gently questioned her, you know, do you know a four-year-old? Is she responsible enough to babysit a two-year-old by the road? This woman was able to realize that it wasn't her fault. She was just a little kid, a toddler herself. And when she let go of that guilt, uh, she was able to let go of that core belief that everything was her fault. And then she was able to improve her relationships and her job and really her entire life. Now, this, this topic, this idea of core beliefs, this really is too big of a topic for this video. But 
Basically, you can learn to examine your core beliefs. These directly contribute to your emotional response, but they're deeper than your thoughts or emotions. Um, essentially, they're your underlying paradigm of the world. Okay, reason number six why a lot of people aren't able to process through emotions is you are unclear about whether it's your responsibility or not. And you get stuck in blame mode or victim mode, or you're waffling back and forth between the two of those, right? So that leaves you with a constant need to dredge up that blame again, or to, to make you feel vindicated, or you're acting helpless when you really need to solve something and take some action. So to, to solve this block, right? So sometimes someone's feeling really bitter because they, they just keep needing to go back to blame. Well, it's his fault that this happened. It's her fault that I feel this way, da 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 When we have to stay in blame mode, that keeps us cycling, um, keeps us cycling in that emotion over and over and over again. So to solve that, we, need to, we really need to get clear on our responsibility and one of the ways to do this is to do the locus of control activity. It's also important to learn the skill of forgiveness. There are other ways to keep boundaries, to protect yourself, and um, you know, live a healthy life other than just holding resentment. So we're gonna talk about that more in another section. Okay, so number seven is processing difficulties. So in the brain, if you have a processing difference, right? So if you have ADD, or a verbal processing disorder, or even if if you look at a an IQ score, there's four different sections on the IQ score that you average out to your total IQ score. If one of those areas is like 20 points higher than the other, but your IQ is still average or above average or whatever, right? You're not a dumb person, but if one part of your brain is moving faster than the other part of your brain, this can make it really hard to go through the six steps of emotion processing. So. If someone's ADD, they have a hard time focusing on their problem long enough to solve it. Or if someone's worry part of their brain is running at 100 miles an hour and their ability to solve problems part of their brain is running at 80 miles an hour, then the worry part of their brain is always going faster than the problem solving part of your brain can catch up with. So we work through this by slowing down the process of emotion processing and we make it as concrete as possible because when it's up here in our brain, it's hard for us to work through it. So the way we do this is we write down our problems. We talk about them with another person. We break our problems down into small, manageable chunks. And in therapy, I do this. I'm, I'm almost always using a whiteboard or a piece of paper to diagram problems and to separate them into parts and to explore solutions. Because otherwise, they just get super complicated or overwhelming, and then people go into shutdown mode. Basically, our brain is not that good at processing emotions. And if we have processing differences like ADD or some other brain differences, that can really impact our ability to process through emotions. Okay, number eight, let's just talk about some other brain differences. Um, so for example, with OCD, it's like your brain doesn't quite reach that stage of resolution as easily. So someone with a neurotypical brain who feels like their hands are dirty, after they wash their hands, they feel that resolution of that problem. They feel like they fixed it and therefore they feel a sense of relief. Someone with a more OCD type brain, they would wash their hands, they would feel a brief relief, but then the thought would pop up and they would feel just as worried as if they'd never washed their hands in the first place. So some types of brains have a harder time staying in that resolved state. 
And with these brain differences, you just need to learn strategies that work specifically for your brain. And there are a lot, right? Um, exposure response prevention is one of these skills, um, as is cognitive diffusion, which we're going to talk about later in this course. So when you feel stuck, here's what to do. Here's some of the things you can do that can help, right? Um, get a third party involved. When we're stuck, we're usually blind to what's actually causing the problem. I've heard it said, you're never upset for the reason you think you are. So getting a wise, reasonable person to share their perspective on the issue can help you see things more clearly and consider alternatives that can help get you unstuck. So of course, I encourage you to talk with a therapist, a close friend, or a loving family member to see if they have some ideas that may help you. The other thing that's going to be helpful is learning to check yourself for thinking errors learning to examine your negative thinking patterns and replace them with more helpful, more functional ways to think. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next section. It's all about cognitive distortions. So I hope to see you there. This podcast was adapted from a YouTube video from my YouTube channel, Therapy in a Nutshell. So if you'd like to see more of my videos, check that out and go subscribe on YouTube. Also, you can sign up for my newsletter at www.therapynutshell.com. Thank you for listening and take care.